Days 27 through 29 of Think Well on It by Bishop Richard Challoner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 27th day, our Savior is brought before Pilate and Herod. Consider first how early in the morning, notwithstanding their late sitting up, the high priest and his fellows in iniquity convene a more numerous assembly of the Sanhedrin, and there again put the same question to our Savior whether he was the Son of God, and receiving the same answer, confirm their former sentence. Yet, as they did not think it safe for themselves, being subjects of the Roman Empire, to put this question in execution without the consent of Pontius Pilate, the governor, they determined to carry him to Pilate, and by his authority to have him crucified, a kind of execution which their malice made choice of, because it was at the same time most ignominious, as being only for vile slaves and notorious criminals, and most cruel, as being a long and lingering death under the sharpest and most sensible torments. Come now, O Christian soul, and contemplate thy Savior, whilst he is hurried along the streets with his hands bound from the house of the high priest to the court of Pilate, attended by the whole council and their wicked ministers, publishing aloud as they go along, that now all his impostors were laid open, his hypocrisy discovered, and himself convicted of blasphemy. Behold the giddy mob, who a little before reverenced him as a prophet, now all on a sudden join with his enemies, following him with uproarious shouts and insults as he passes along the highway, and discharging a thousand kind of injuries and affronts upon him. Consider secondly, in view of the judge of the living and dead, standing with his hands bound as a criminal at the bar of a petty governor, and behold the process, the chief priests and the princes of the people, having delivered him up, and Pilate demanding what particulars they had to allege against him, they made no scruple of inventing fresh calumnies, viz. that he was a factious and seditious man, a traitor and rebel to the government, who had forbid tribute to be paid to Caesar, and set himself up for king of the Jews. Once more take notice of the invincible patience of thy Savior, in hearing with silence such notorious falsities, as these laid to his charge, and so much that the governor was astonished that a man could be silent under such accusations, which aimed at nothing less than procuring his condemnation to the worst of deaths. However, as he plainly saw through all the disguise of the high priest and scribes, he interpreted this silence in favor of our Savior, only hesitating a little at the word king, and having received full satisfaction upon that head, by being given to understand that the kingdom of our Savior was not of this world, and therefore not dangerous to Caesar's government. He determined to set him at liberty, admire the force of innocence, which could even move a heathen, and one of the worst of men, such as Pilate was, and ensure thyself that speaking generally, patience and silence are a thousand times better proofs of thy innocence than returning injury for injury, and making an opprobrious and clamorous defense. Consider thirdly how Pilate, being convinced of our Savior's innocence and desirous of setting him at liberty, met with an obstinate resistance from the malicious princes and deluded people, and therefore, understanding that our Savior, as being an inhabitant of Galilee, belonged to the jurisdiction of Herod, the tetrarch thereof, he from thence took occasion to rid himself of their importunity by sending him to Herod. Accompany thy Lord, O my soul, in this new stage, and take notice of his incomparable meekness, whilst he passes through the streets, lined on each side 
with an insulting multitude and echoing with their reproaches and clamors. Herod rejoiced at his coming in hopes to seize some miracle and therefore put a thousand questions to him, whilst the princes of the Jews, with unwearied malice, were repeating all their false accusations against him. But our Lord was still silent, nor would he satisfy the curiosity of Herod, nor do anything by which he might incline this prince to free him from that death which he so ardently desired, as being, by the decrees of heaven, the only means of our redemption. Blessed by all creatures be his goodness for ever. Consider fourthly how Herod, provoked by our Saviour's not consenting to gratify his inclinations of seeing a miracle, sought to revenge himself by treating him with mockery and scorn, exposing him to the scoffs of his guards, by ordering him to be clothed in contempt with a white garment as with a fool's coat, or perhaps as a mock king, and in this dress sent him back again to Pilate, attended in the same manner as he came, with an insulting mob headed by the scribes and Pharisees. Stand amazed, my soul, to see the wisdom of the Eternal Father treated thus as a fool, and learn from thence not to repine or be solicitous about the judgment of the world. Consider fifthly how Pilate, seeing our Savior brought back again to his tribunal, contrived another way to bring him off, so as to give him, at the same time, a little offense, as might be, to the high priest and the chief of the Jews. It was the custom of the nation, on the day of their paschal solemnity, which was celebrated that very day in the memory of their delivery from the Egyptian bondage, to set at liberty one criminal for whom the people should petition. Wherefore Pilate, taking advantage of this opportunity, proposed to their choice our Savior on one hand, and Barabbas, a notorious malefactor, robber, and murderer on the other, not doubting that they would rather choose to have the innocent Lamb of God released than that Barabbas, the worst of criminals, should escape due punishment. Ah, Pilate, what outrageous affront dost thou here put upon the Son of God? Whilst thou pretendest to favor him, what must the Lord of life and immortality, the King of heaven, stand in competition with the vilest of men, with the most notorious criminal that could be pitched upon? Must it be put to the votes of the mob, which of the two is the better man, and which is the more worthy of death? Oh, the unparalleled injury! Oh, the incomparable humility of my Savior! O oh, King of glory! How low hast thou stooped to rise me up from the dunghill! Consider sixthly, if it was an intolerable affront to compare our Savior with Barabbas, what idea must we frame, or what name must we give to that blind people's choice, when they preferred Barabbas to Christ, and desired that the latter might be crucified and the former acquitted? Behold, O my soul, in this wonderful humiliation of thy Lord, how deep and dangerous was the wound of pride which could not be cured by so great humility. O see if thine be yet cured. Examine thyself also, whether thou hast not often been guilty, like these blind Jews, of preferring Barabbas to thy Savior, by turning thy back upon him for some petty interest or filthy pleasure. If so, thou art more inexcusable than they, because thou knowest him to be the Lord of glory, at the same time as thou persecutest him by sin. Whereas had they known him to be such, they would never have preferred a Barabbas before him. 28th day. Our Savior is scourged at the pillar and crowned with thorns. Consider first how the Jews still continuing to cry out against 
our Lord, and in a tumultuous manner to demand his crucifixion. Pilate contrives another way to bring about his being set at liberty, is by striving to satisfy their cruelty, in ordering him to be most severely scourged. O Pilate, how cruel is thy mercy! It is thus that thou treatest him whom thou declarest innocent. Is this thy justice? But our sins, O my soul, required that the Lord of glory should be thus cruelly treated and subjected to this ignominious punishment, to which none but common slaves or the meanest wretches are liable, and to which a Roman citizen should upon no account be condemned. Stand thou, my soul, and see in what manner this sentence be executed. Behold how the bloody soldiers lay their impious hands on this meek lamb of God, how they strip off all his clothes and tie him naked fast to a stone pillar. See how they discharge upon his sacred back and shoulders innumerable stripes, lashes, and scourges. Behold the blood come spouting forth on all sides. See how his body is all overrent and mangled by their cruelty, and the flesh laid open to the very bones. Behold his enemies all the while insulting over him and rejoicing at his torments, whilst he, with eyes cast up towards heaven, is offering up all he suffers for their sins and for those of the whole world. Ah, sinners, take a serious view of your Redeemer's condition, and contemplating in his torn and mangled body the malice of sin, learn to detest this hellish monster, which has brought on the Son of God all these sufferings. Consider second how these bloody ruffians, by their cruel scourging, have made but one wound of our Savior's body, from head to foot, loose him at last from the pillar, leaving him to put on his clothes as well as he could. Ah, Christians, have compassion now on your Savior's abandoned condition, who has no one to lend him a helping hand to bind up his gaping wounds or staunch the blood that comes flowing from them. Oh, present yourselves now and offer him what service you are able. Offer at least to assist him in putting on his clothes to cover his green wounds from the cold air. But, oh, how rough are these woolen clothes to his wounded back! Alas, instead of affording him any ease or comfort, they do but increase his sores by rubbing upon them. Consider, thirdly, how these merciless soldiers had scare given our Savior a short respite after his scourging, when they were pushed on by the devil to act another scene of cruelty, such as never was heard of before or since and that was to make themselves a barbarous sport in crowning him a king. Therefore they drag him into the court of the Praetorium, and assemble together the whole regiment, then violently strip him again of all his clothes, which now begin to cleave to his wounded body, set him on a bench or stool, throw about him some old ragged purple garment, twist a wreath of long, hard, and sharp thorns, and press it down on his sacred head, put in his hand a reed for a scepter then in derision one by one they bend their knees before him with the scornful salutation hail king of the jews they spit in his face buffet him and taking the reed or cane out of his hand strike him with it on the head driving the thorns deeper in whilst the blood trickles apace from the many wounds which he receives from their points sweet jesus shall we here say or which shall we most admire, the malice of these ministers of Satan, or thy unparalleled charity, which made thee undergo such unheard of reproaches and torments for ungrateful sinners? 
Blessed be thy goodness forever. Consider fourthly how Pilate, hoping now that the rage and malice of the Jews would be satisfied, so as to insist no longer upon our Savior's death, after they should see with how much cruelty and contempt he had been treated, in compliance to their fury, lends him forth in the same condition with the crown of thorns on his head and the ragged purple on his shoulders, and from an eminence shows him to the people, saying, Eka homo, behold the man, behold in what manner he has now been handled. Cease then any longer to seek his death. Let his body, mangled from head to foot, bespeak your pity. And thou, O Christian soul, behold the man with other kind of eyes than these hard-hearted wretches, and see to what a condition thy sins and his own infinite charity have reduced him. Behold his head crowned with a wreath of sharp thorns, piercing on all sides his sacred flesh, and entering into his temples with excessive pain. Behold his face, quite disfigured with blows, and quite besmeared with spittle and blood. Behold his whole body, inhumanely rent and torn with whips and scourges, and now covered with a hard, ragged garment, rubbing, and at each moment increasing his wounds, and then look up and contemplate him upon his throne of glory, and see what return thou canst make him for having thus annihilated himself for love of thee. He desires no more of thee than an imitation of his patience and humility. Learn then in what manner thou art to practice these lessons. Twenty-ninth day. Our Savior carries his cross and is nailed to it. Consider first how the malice of the Jews, no way relenting at the sight of the Lamb of God, bleeding for the sins of the world, but continuing still in a tumultuous manner to demand that he might be crucified. Pilate at last yields to their importunity, and against his own conscience, sentences our Savior to the death of the cross. Ah, Christians, has it never been your misfortune, by the like cowardice, to condemn your Savior and his doctrine, and basely to renounce in the practice of your lives the maxims of the gospel? for fear of what the world will say. Has not too often a much weaker temptation than the fear of losing Caesar's friendship induced you to crucify again the Son of God? Be confounded and repent. Consider, secondly, that this sentence of death, how unjust soever from Pilate, yet as being most just from his eternal Father and necessary for our salvation, was received with perfect submission, charity, and silence by our blessed Redeemer, who thereupon was immediately stripped again of his purple garments, clad with his own clothes, a heavy cross, of the length and size proportional to the bearing of a man, laid on his wounded shoulders, and two thieves or highway robbers appointed to be his associates, and to be executed with him to verify the prophecy with the wicked he was reputed. Isaiah 53. Come now, devout souls, and take a view of our Lord in this his last progress or procession. A crier leads the way, publishing aloud the pretended crimes and blasphemies of this never-heard-of malefactor. Then follow the soldiers and executioners with ropes, hammers, nails, etc., after whom goeth, or rather, creepeth along our high priest and victim, all bruised and bloody, with a thief on each hand and a cross on his shoulders, dragging it forward step by step, followed and surrounded on all sides by the priests and the scribes and the whole mob of people cursing and reviling and scoffing at him 
whilst the cruel executioners are hastening him forward with their kicks and blows. Ah, Christians, now at least take pity on your Savior's sufferings, and add not to his load by your sins. Consider thirdly how our blessed Lord, having for some time, with unspeakable labor and torment, carried his cross through the streets, at last falls down under its weight, unable to carry it any further. Wonder not, my soul, at this, since besides the load of the cross oppressing his wearied body, wounded in every part and exhausted with the loss of so much blood, his heavenly Father has laid upon his soldiers another more insupportable weight, viz. that of the sins of the whole world. Ah, Christians, it is under this untollable burthen that our Savior faints and falls down, nor is he any way eased of this merciless load by Simon the Cyrene, who was compelled to take up the cross, but bore no part of the weight of our iniquities, all of which the Heavenly Father laid upon his beloved Son to be cancelled by his blood and death. O infinite goodness of the Father, O infinite charity of the Son, to do and suffer so much for wretched man. O my poor soul, see thou never more be ungrateful to so loving a God. Consider fourthly how our Savior, being now arrived at Mount Calvary, quite wearied and spent, the ministers of hell still persecute him with unwearied cruelty, and whereas it was the custom to give the criminals that were to die a strengthening draught of wine seasoned with myrrh, they contrived to mingle gall with the portion designed for him, after which they violently strip him of his clothes, which by this time clove fast again to his sores, opening his wounds afresh, and exposing him naked to shame and cold in the sight of an immense multitude. Draw nigh now, my soul, and see him again bleeding for the love of thee. O oh, see how, while the cross is preparing, he falls upon his knees and offers himself to his eternal Father, a bleeding victim to appease his wrath and kindled by thy sins. Consider fifthly how the cross lying flat on the ground, they lay our dear Redeemer stretched out upon it, who like a meek lamb makes no resistance, and first drawing his right hand to the place designed to fix it on, they drive with their hammers a sharp, gross nail through the palm, forcing its way with incredible torment through the sinews, veins, muscles, and bones of which the hand is composed into the hard wood of the cross. In the meantime, the whole body, to favor the wound and the pierced sinews, was naturally drawn towards the right side, but was not long permitted to remain so, for immediately these cruel butchers, laying hold of his left arm and hand, violently drag him towards the opposite side, in order to nail that hand also to the place designed for it. Then pulling down his legs, they fastened his sacred feet in like manner with nails to the wood, and all this with such violence that it is thought with the force of stretching and pulling, they very much strained his whole body and disjointed it in many parts, verifying the prediction of the royal prophet. They have dug my hands and feet. They have numbered all my bones. Psalm 21. Ah, Christians, if the contracting or piercing of a nerve or sinew, if the disjointing or displacing of a bone, though never so small, be so cruel a torture, what must we think of the torments which our Savior endured in his disjointed body? What must we think of what he suffered when his hands and feet 
where so many sinews, muscles, veins, and bones all meet, were violently bored through with gross nails. Oh, let us never cease to admire, adore, and love his mercy. End of days 27 through 29.